Welcome back. So I would really like to talk tonight to you all about the quality of compassion, uh, which is spoken about a lot in Buddhism, and uh, you know about how do we experience that in our lives. But I want to do that as it's embodied in this figure called Kuan Yin, the Bodhisattva of Compassion, Celestial Bodhisattva of Compassion, Kuan Yin. And um, she is not a, a god. She's not an, a, something external and separate from us. She is really a reflection of our own deepest nature, of our own Buddha nature. Uh, so she's the embody, embodiment of our deepest wisdom and love, really, and clarity. And I keep returning. I, I did a book about Kuan Yin, which, oh, I've, I've got to introduce Kim to you. This is Kim Criswell. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is Kim Criswell, who is kind enough to um, help me out tonight. She'll, she'll be reading a few little excerpts from the, from the book. But if you hold up the little one, yeah. So in about 1999, I, I wrote this book about Kuan Yin, just trying to discover who is she. And, um, but I always return. I keep returning to her. And I think I do that because of my own struggle with compassion. I mean, I'm not, I'm not I guess, the, the uh, just naturally, wonderfully compassionate person who steps up to every occasion and, and is able to give care. I struggle with these things. So I've been coming back and coming back, coming back. What is that? That's uh, uh, 15 years now and before that. So... Um, I think she, she is, once you know about Kuan Yin, once you've been introduced to her, uh, she does intrigue us. She does sort of draw us back. And I think she, um, she answers a need in us to touch into that uh, deepest part of ourselves. So my plan tonight is to talk to you for a while about Kuan Yin. And... Um, And then we'll have some questions and comments. And then I'd like to end the evening with a guided meditation about Kuan Yin. So who is she? I suppose, let me see, um, are some people here quite familiar with this figure? Some folks? Have some never heard the words before? Uh Uh-huh. All right. Well, she is the preeminent goddess in Asia. She has different names in different countries, Kwanam in Vietnam, Kanon in Japan, Kwanzeam Bosa in Korea, and so forth. She is also uh, known as a goddess in other traditions. For instance, in theosophy, she's considered to be one of the ascended masters. And then in, in various types of women's spirituality, Kuan Yin appears, is very much sort of honored. So um, what is she? A bodhisattva of compassion, a celestial bodhisattva of compassion. And what is a bodhisattva? A bodhisattva is someone who is practicing to achieve full liberation, but who says, I will not uh, achieve 
my own liberation until I can bring every other being in the universe with me. And then she turns back into the world and works to alleviate suffering and to wake people up. That's a bodhisattva. And Kuan Yin is one of the major uh, bodhisattvas in Buddhism. I'm, I'm, let's see, I have a, a wonderful quote about um, who, what a bodhisattva is. by Ken McLeod, some of you may have read him, who says, Compassion is ordinarily understood as an emotion, but the compassion of a bodhisattva is not a sentiment. It is not pity. It is a quality of awareness itself, the knowing that is the core of our humanity. Most of us have had experiences of this kind of compassion Moments when mind and heart are crystal clear and we just respond to the needs of the moment. And I really like that definition, responding to the needs of the moment. Um, Chung Yang Trungpa, who's a famous teacher, said, uh, compassion is, is doing what's appropriate in the moment. So I know we've all had that experience of uh, being in a situation where something is needed and without even thinking, we stepped forward and gave it. That's the ideal, I would say, of compassion. Her name in uh, Chinese is Guan Xiyin, and uh, that means she who hears the cries of the world, or she who hearkens to the cries of the world. That means that she is open and responsive to all beings. She embodies both compassion and receptive listening, and, and hearing is very important for Kuan Yin, sound, vibration. So in, if you were to go to City of 10,000 Buddhas, which is the mothership of this building here, um, you, you, could, you could chant for a week to Kuan Yin. Um, and there is even, there's even a dance. There's a Kuan Yin dance which was created by the Sufis in their Dances of Universal Peace. And if you, um, if you want to come to Spirit Rock on October 13th, no, October 9th, we will dance together to Kuan Yin. I'm leading a, a, a day-long workshop where we'll, we will do the practices associated with Kuan Yin. So I invite you. <laughs> Well, most of us have, uh, who, who know about Kuan Yin have come to her um, through art, through these beautiful statues. There are little ones over here and those big ones in the back. Uh, they're really exquisite uh, statues of Kuan Yin from Asia, and they're traditional images. And I just want to speak about them a bit, um, you know, to talk about how Kuan Yin is viewed and presented in Asia. And, but I first encountered her in Kansas City, Kansas City, Missouri. <laughs> there is a museum there called, called the Nelson Atkins Museum of Asian Art. And here she was, and I'm gonna, Kim's going to give this to you to pass around so you can see her. Um, and I, like many of you here, had never heard the words Kuan Yin, had no idea, no context at all of who this could be. And a friend took me into this room. It was a 
one statue in the room, the only one. She's about eight feet tall. She's, um, she's sitting in the posture of royal ease, which is the leg is out like this and her arm is balanced across it. It's a very strong posture. And she wear, has a beautiful uh, robe. And so my friend said, this is Kuan Yin. And then she left. And I had, no, I had no idea what I was looking at. But I just stood there, and it was just Kuan Yin and me. And, um, and I had a really powerful experience looking at this, uh, at this piece of art. And the experience was as if I were, um, if I, as if I were feeling the, the deepest uh, uh, sorrow, the deepest pain, the deepest suffering, and all the way to the greatest delight, and everything in between, just filled with, with feeling in response to this. And then the face, as you'll see when you look at her, um, is very, very serene. And that also fascinated me at that time. That was 1982. And I believe me, I was in need of some serenity at that point, um, which I won't elaborate on. But uh, So I bought a little postcard of Kuan Yin, that statue, and I put it on the seat next to me. I was driving in a car to New York, and there she was. And then I thought, hmm, I'm going to find out about her. So that's another story of how at that time I, f- I was able to find out more about her. There is another um, famous Asian representation of Kuan Yin. She's riding through the waves on a dragon. And she is, um, she's coming to save us. She's going to save us from disaster, from illness, from tragedy, from difficulty. And this is something that's been written about in the sutras, in the holy books. And uh, particularly in the Lotus Sutra, there's a chapter of it called the Universal Gateway Chapter, um, which delineates all the situations in which Kuan Yin can save us. So here's a couple, so you get a sense of what she's up to. Suppose someone should conceive a wish to harm you, should push you into a great pit of fire. Think on the power of Kuan Yin, and the pit of fire will change into a pond. This, is, this one's my favorite. Suppose you are on the peak of Mount Sumeru, a big mountain in Asia, <laughs> and someone pushes you off. Think on the power of Kuan Yin, and you will hang in midair like the sun. Uh, but I want to ask Kim to read a, a story from the book. This book, she appears... Um, the story was sent to us to me by a man named Fred Kahn, who was a yoga teacher, and it's about uh, Kuan Yin's saving somebody's life. While I was preparing to lead a compassion yoga workshop, a woman called to say she was coming to the workshop with her husband, but that he was not really spiritual and might be quite negative toward what we would be doing. The couple came to the workshop and the husband sat looking bored. But suddenly, when I was showing some slides, one of them an image of Kuan Yin, he sat upright and began to cry. The wife looked sideways at him in shock, 
and I didn't know what was going on. After the workshop, the husband said he had to talk to me. Here's what he told me. While I was in Vietnam, I got lost behind enemy lines. Suddenly, out of nowhere, this young woman appeared and gestured for me to follow her. At first, I wasn't sure if I should trust her, but there was something about her that was very unusual and made me lower my guard. She waved for me to walk behind her as she led me through the underbrush to a cave. I hid inside it and remained there all night. Next morning came, the woman had disappeared. Later that day, I found my way back to my unit. All these years, I thought she was an oriental version of Mary, but one of the slides you showed, the slide of Kuan Yin, was her. So she does appear to some folks in distress and uh, changes the situation. Another depiction of her that, that I find particularly interesting is with a sword. Um, as I said, she's, um, she's, she can be riding a dragon through the, through the waves, brandishing a sword. And I, what I see from that is, is fierce compassion. There's a kind of compassion that just cuts through to get to what, what is really going on and take care of it. And there's a, there's a, a woman named Mayumi Oda, Japanese-American woman. She's a mother. She's an artist. She's a political activist. She used to live in the Bay Area and now is in Hawaii. And she's done a silk screen of Kuan Yin, again, riding through the waves, brandishing a sword, um, and and she then she calls this goddess give us strength to cut through so i went i went to visit her uh and ask her why she had created this image of kuanyin with a sword mayumi speaks passionately about this kuanyin it's about taking care of yourself we have so confused compassion with sympathy Compassion is really understanding the whole world as one, that there's no separation between me and you. If you just give and give and give because you have sympathy, you're not taking care of yourself. And then you're not taking care of the whole world either. Women are trained to give away our own selves so much that it's very, very difficult for us to take ruthless action. But if you just give and give, in the end, you become a very angry person, and you don't know why you're angry. Unconsciously, it bubbles up. Then this anger seizes you. When this anger seizes you, it's dangerous. I realized I would have to be able to say no to certain things, which was very difficult for me. I gave my Kuan Yin the sword of wisdom and ruthless action so that I can cut through that kind of bullshit sympathy and allow my real self to act. And so that I can really take care of myself, too. And taking care of myself is taking care of others. So that's Mayumi with the sword. She is an anti-nuclear activist over in Japan since Fukushima. 
putting it into practice. Um, Kuan Yin did not start out as a female figure. She started out as a male figure, Avalokiteshvara. Um, you may have seen him. He has a thousand arms, a thousand eyes, a thousand arms like this around him, and, a, and an eye in each hand. He has 11 heads to see what's going in, in the, on in the universe. And, and often he has um, larger arms here in front holding implements. There's a statue of him back there. He doesn't have the thousand arms, but it has everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, and all these implements, all these eyes and hands are in order to see what's going on with us and, if possible, step forward and, and save us from our, our uh, distress. But so he, he uh, was brought to China early on, and between about 600 and 900 CE, he transformed from a male figure into a female figure, Kuan Yin, or Guan Xiyin. And this sex, he was probably, um, you know, the first transsexual recorded <laughs> in recorded history. <laughs> probably were some before that. Um, but this transformation came about in several ways. And the first was that he was confl- <laughs> he beginning was conflated with with local goddesses. So in the South China Sea, there would be a, a goddess who looked over the sailors, who watched for the sailors, and Avalokiteshvara would become her, and and that would become Kuan Yin. So that's one way that that this happened. The other way, which I think is more interesting, is that was through embodiment in ordinary women. So in a village, a, a child would be born, a little girl, and she was different from other little girls. She was more peaceful. She was more generous. As she grew up, uh, she was very kind to everybody. She took care of people. As a grown-up, she was known for that. And sometimes she even died uh, giving her life for other people. And then typically, as they were preparing her body for burial through various magical signs, they would realize, oh, this wasn't Mary Wong who runs the grocery store down at the corner. This was, in fact, Kuan Yin or Guan Xiyin. And to me, that indicates a quality of Kuan Yin that, that I uh, particularly value, which is she's not something remote. She's not something out there and exotic and all that. She is here among us. She's easy to access. Um, Right here with us in the everyday world. After a while, if you start looking for Kuan Yin's, you find them in various places. Ordinary people. So I'd like to ask uh, Kim to read a poem that expresses this by Laura Fargus. And um, it's just called... Is it called... Oh, just Kuan Yin, isn't it? Just Kuan Yin. Yes, okay. Of the many Buddhas, I love best the girl who will not leave the cycle of pain before anyone else. It is not the captain declining to be saved on the sinking ship who may just want to hide his shame out of sight. She is at the brink of never being heard again, but pauses to say, all of us every blade of grass. She chooses to live in the tumble of souls through time. Perhaps she sees spring in every country, 
talks quietly with farm women while helping lay seed. Our hearts are a storm she trembles at. I picture her leaning on a tree or humming or joining a volleyball game on Santa Monica Beach. Her skin shines with sweat. The others may not know how to notice what she does to them. She is not a fish or a bee. It is not pity or thirst. She could go, but here she is. <laughs> so she's, she's um, expressing that quality of, of the bodhisattva, the very definition, that she doesn't, she doesn't go to her own enlightenment, her own liberation. She, she stays with us and she helps us get there too. You know, the, the quality of compassion and, and how we experience it is really a fascinating subject. And I keep returning to it and, and try to work with it with writing. Um, but how do, we, how do we give compassion in our lives if we look at it, if we really look at this? How do we receive it? Uh, what about those, those moments in which we just can't do it? We know that something needs to be done for someone and just cannot do it. What about the times when someone is trying to uh, be kind to us and for whatever reason we, we can't bear that, we can't receive it? It's, it's really a very uh, complex thing, compassion. It's not so easy. Even though that, there's that definition, doing what's appropriate in the moment. Uh, figuring out what's appropriate in the moment sometimes really difficult. So it's the exploration of these questions that just keeps bringing me back uh, year after year. And I'm, I'm trying to learn from the example that she provides. And particularly, the thing I, I most value in it is her injunction, as, as I hear it, to accept everything about myself, the whole spectrum of what is it to be a human being. I mean, over here, yeah, you've got some positive qualities now and then. <laughs> but over here, what about the other end of the spectrum? You know, all that weirdness that we hope nobody ever finds out. Even thinking, the thoughts, certain thoughts, ooh. What about that? How can we, how can I accept all of that? And of course, it's a very obvious thing to... to uh, point out that if one can't accept that in oneself, there's no way we can do it with others. So she encourages me to welcome all that it is to be a human being. It seems to me our spiritual practice, our Buddhist practice, is about what is it to be a human being? And we keep exploring and exploring, really trying to figure it out. What is it? And she says... And how are you? And and welcome all of it, not just the, the inter, the you know the good stuff. So um, we've been reading from this book, and I'll just give you in a few sentences tell you how it came about because I had done the previous book, Discovering Kuan Yin, and people after that came out began to send me things. They sent me stories about encounters they'd had with Kuan Yin, uh, you know, dreams and visions and a 20-year relationships with this figure. They sent me artwork, um, paintings and drawings, and, and 
photographs of sculptures. And what they were expressing um, was a Western, uh, I don't want to say appropriation, a Western visioning of Kuan Yin. Who is she to us? There, of course, there's all that exquisite Asian art, um, but to uh, those of us who are not Asian, what is she and how can we uh, see ourselves in her? So that's what the book does. There are 52 contributors and 35 full-color pieces of art and people telling their stories and illustrating what it was they experienced. But I want to just um, point out a couple of more qualities of Kuan Yin, which are really important and I think helpful to us. Uh, one is her very strong connection to nature. She is always shown outside. This, the, you know, you will notice in most of her statues, the, uh, the robe is blowing to the side. That's the sea wind blowing her robe. She's shown um, with the full moon, with willow trees, with water of all kinds, with animals, um, riding on a fish, um, riding on a dragon, uh, of some other kind of animal. So she's calling upon us to realize how intimately connect- we are connected to the natural world, it seems to me. And, uh, you know, all forms, all forms in it are, are part of us. Um, and I found this out, and, I, and I'll tell this story briefly, but I, I went to her island. She has an island in the South China Sea called Putoshan. And I went with uh, Phyllis Pei, who might be a name you know. She's a, she's a Berkeley psychic, who, um, Chinese-American woman who, who adored Kuan Yin. And we went there, and we had various expectations about what we were going to experience on this island. And... Uh, which has been a pilgrimage place for Kuan Yin for, for centuries. Um, and of course, when you have very uh, uh, rigid expectations guiding you, um, generally you get disappointed, which is what happened to us. We didn't really have the experience we thought we wanted to have, and there were various reasons for this. It's a tourist island, and a million tourists a year at that time, which was a while back, go there. And they're all Asian tourists. We were among the very few uh, people who were not Asian. And uh, it's, set up, it's not set up particularly for spiritual practice anymore. It's much more of a tourist spot. But on the final morning, I said, okay, I, I, there's another kind of experience I've got to have here. So I got up at 5 in the morning. I went down to the beach. And I sat down on the beach and closed my eyes and just was present. Uh, just surrendering to whatever might be here. And I began to hear uh, the, the sound of the, 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 the waves, the surf coming up on the sand. I could smell the sea wind, the, feel the heat of the sun, uh, the, the rock I was sitting on under me. I could feel its hardness and the beetles who were running across my shoes. And uh, I understood or I experienced that this, this was Kuan Yin, that she was there, in, not only in all of that, but in me, in this physical body. This also was Kuan Yin, all of it. 
So that's when I understood that Kuan Yin is always in nature. And it seems to me she could be something of an inspiration for environmental activism at this point in our in our worldly career. For some people, Kuan Yin is very important as an expression of the feminine divine. And I think sometimes, um, sometimes in Vipassana, in Theravada Buddhism, we can get into a <clears throat> rather tight and arid quality in our practice where we're sort of trying too hard, it becomes too precise, it's all these things. And Kuan Yin brings in uh, a kind of relaxation. She brings in a, a feminine energy um, and um, a kind of uh, opening and movement and softness. Devotional, devotional Buddhism is about that. It's about that opening and softening. So I'm going to have um, Kim read a piece by Sherry Anderson, and maybe some of you have heard, her, heard of her. She, but anyway, she was um, a young Zen student who went off to do a solitary retreat in the woods, and this is what happened to her. As an earnest young Zen student and intensely focused psychologist, I went about finding enlightenment in the same way I did everything else. The only way I knew, driving hard, pushing, going for the gold. In the spring of 1976, I embarked on a solo meditation retreat in a tiny cabin in northern Ontario. From early morning to evening, I did sitting and walking meditations and a thousand prostrations a day when I wasn't chopping wood for the stove. Really, I was not ready for such an ordeal, having practiced Zen for only a few years. Looking back, I realize how scared I was. Alone for 30 days with nothing but my barely established sitting practice to hold my frantic mind. I seriously thought I might go crazy. I'd heard stories about what could happen if you spent that much time alone. But my Zen master encouraged me, and I wanted to give it a try. By around the third day, I'd gotten settled into the retreat structure when something happened that I could never have imagined. As I was sitting erect on my cushion in the afternoon, the sun filtering through the windows, Kuan Yin came into the room and invited me to dance. As I think back, I wonder how I knew she was there. It seemed like the most natural thing. My eyes were open. She was dressed in flowing robes, as in the statues I'd seen. And what I remember most was her smile. She looked amused, probably at my plight as a fledgling meditator trying so hard to get it right. She reached out her arms invitingly, as if to say, Come and join me, why don't you? She didn't speak, but waited, still smiling, as I struggled to work out what was happening. We're supposed to just sit, I thought, not get up and dance. I never heard about this sort of thing happening on retreat. Am I doing something wrong? (laughs) And then she started to move, laughing and sexy and teasing me, until there I was, up off my cushion, 
swaying and whirling and laughing with her. Laughing? Is this what happens on retreat? I wondered. How come nobody told me? Every day she came, and every day we danced in the afternoon. I guess I started to expect her, though I can't remember remember that part anymore. But I haven't the slightest difficulty remembering the joy that rose through my body and out my head like a fountain of golden light as great sensual energies whirled me across the room and out the door to turn under the big pines, weeping and laughing without a scintilla of understanding anything except being there in boundless celebration. I never told my Korean Zen master what happened with Kuan Yin. I think, honestly, I walled off my memory of what happened on that retreat because I had no context for it. Not until 20 years later, when I was writing The Feminine Face of God with my friend Pat Hopkins, did I realize, oh... Even then, in the midst of what felt like the most severe kind of patriarchal practice, the sacred feminine was present, inviting me to the delicious joy of my feminine self, filling me with such gladness, releasing my grim and fearful efforting, inviting me to dance. Boundless celebration. I like that phrase where she said, I danced in boundless celebration. Um, One very strong quality in Kuan Yin is healing. Uh, She's found in a lot of situations. Go to your acupuncturist and there she is sitting there. Um, And I encountered that when I got back from um, China. This was, this was 1995, and I was diagnosed with uh, third-stage colon cancer. So you can imagine I was in a state of some distress, and I was told that in a week I would have major surgery and probably chemotherapy after that, and etc. So I spent that week wandering in the graveyard. I, I live in Oakland, and I live right near Mountain View Cemetery, if you know that beautiful place. So I was walking in the cemetery, and I found myself talking to Kuan Yin, which was really strange because I wasn't in the habit of talking to beings who I couldn't see. (laughs) And, of course, what I wanted to happen was that she would appear in the branches of one of the venerable trees, and, and she'd be beautifully dressed, and she'd come down and walk with me and take my hand and comfort me. But this didn't happen. However, there was an answer. There was an answer to my plea. And it came very strongly from myself. Something in me was activated. And that's when I understood, really, that Kuan Yin isn't out there. She's simply in us. And I want to just give you um, a quote from a Chinese nun at the City of 10,000 Buddhas who said, Kuan Yin is about nothing but ourselves. She's a way of going deeply into ourselves. And so I think in that, in that way she offers great comfort 
during illness, both, both for sometimes for caregivers and, um, and their chance to coin in can be done with, with ill people and dying people. And also, if, if we know about that, if it's we ourselves who are ill. She certainly was very helpful to me. It turned out to be um, 26 weeks of chemotherapy after the, after the, the uh, surgery. And uh, Kuan Yin was there with me for that period of time and, and was helpful. I just want to say I'm fine now. <laughs> Came back from that one. So I want to end with um, um, a prayer in the book. And it's, it's just illustrating the particular quality of Kuan Yin's compassion. It's not that ordinary compassion which, which we find it easy to do. Um, do you know the poem by Thich Nhat Hanh called Call Me By My True Names? Uh, that kind of compassion where uh, you, 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 um, you pray for the, the person who's abusing you, who, who's doing wrong to you. You send love to and compassion to even the people who are treating you badly. And this is called, what is the name of that prayer? Kuan Yin's Prayer for the Abuser. Okay. Poem by unknown author. Unknown author, yes. It was sent to me by a man named Eddie Henderson. And um, he said he had no idea who had uh, written this or or composed it. But it it gives a sense of that uh, quality of compassion, which really is deeper and more difficult than the conventional one. And you want me to read just a portion of the poem? Or the yes, poem? just re- yeah. read the first part. Okay. Yeah. To those who withhold refuge, I cradle you in safety at the core of my being. To those who cause a child to cry out, I grant you the freedom to express your own choked agony. To those who inflict terror, I remind you that you shine with the purity of a thousand suns. To those who would confine, suppress, or deny, I offer the limitless expanse of the sky. To those who need to cut, slash, or burn, I remind you of the invincibility of spring. To those who cling and grasp, I promise more abundance than you could ever hold on to. To those who vent their rage on small children, I return to you your deepest innocence. To those who must frighten into submission, I hold you in the bosom of your original mother. Thank you. So, thank you for your attention. And um, let's take, I I do want to end with a guided meditation, but let's take some, some time to, if anyone has questions or comments, or maybe you've had an experience with Kuan Yin, Anything strike you in what I said? 
Do you want to say that again? Yeah, sure. Um, I was just in listening to you talk about compassion and Kuan Yin, and um, I've just been feeling that oftentimes it's self-compassion that is more difficult than even the compassion and the difficulties that we come up against um, with other people or other situations. I think you're right. I think for most people, the, the self-judgments are often more vicious than the ones that we, we put on other people. And the self-hatred, there's a kind of shame. You know, we're raised in ways that cause us shame. And, and that's why I keep coming back to her when, when she's saying, you know, accept it all, be with it all, open to it all. That's very hard. You have to be very brave to do that. Well, I'm, I do want to guide, lead us in the guided meditations, but is there, any, is there anyone who would like to say something or ask? Or... Okay. So I invite you to uh, find a comfortable position. Do we need to stand up for five, for just a shake out, or are we okay? We're okay. All right. I I'm okay. <laughs> um, all right. Let's let's get comfortable and let's close our eyes and uh, I invite you to just arrive here in this sitting body. You can feel the weight of your body on the, on the chair or on the on the pillow. And for a few moments, let's bring our attention to the breath. The in-breath and the out-breath. <clears throat> which we experience through sensation perhaps temperature, perhaps as the breath enters the nostrils, it's cooler. And we feel the touch of the air on the inside of our nostrils. Perhaps we feel the touch of the air on our upper lip as it enters and exits the nose. What are the sensations? And staying with those, the in-breath and the out-breath. Now I invite you to transport yourself to your favorite place at the ocean, a beach at the ocean.
It's night time. <clears throat> it's very dark. You can hear the waves. You can smell the sea wind. And now as you look up, you see that the moon is rising. It seems to come up out of the water. It goes high, high in the sky. It's a full moon. And you turn to look at it. And as you gaze into that brightness, you can see that there in the moon is Kuan Yin. However you may envision her, however you may have seen her, there she is in the moon. And now the moon begins to lower. It's coming down closer and closer to the surface of the ocean. And there's a shining path that opens in front of it. And, I, and Kuan Yin is now coming toward you on that path. She gets closer. You could see her better. You can see how she's dressed. And as she gets close, you see that she's smiling. She's so glad to see you. And there are tears in her eyes. She's so moved by seeing you. So she comes up close to you. And you can feel all of yourself suffused by her great compassionate nature and held by her. And just let yourself relax into that. And now she steps forward right inside you and she becomes you. And all the ways in which you don't accept yourself, all the ways in which you haven't lived up to the goals you set, all the weakness or the carelessness that you now regret. All of that is cradled by Kuan Yin's beautiful, deep compassion that is also yours, your compassion. And let yourself open to that. Open to that spaciousness, that expansion of yourself.
Now the Kuan tells you that it's time for her to leave. And she steps backward. Now she's separate from you again. And you see her in front of you. But then slowly she's vanishing. She's moving away. She's disappearing. And also the beach and also the moon and the ocean waves. And you're left in a vast space, a great spaciousness, in which you are completely at ease. Let your just self just open into that space. Now, with great caring for yourself, coming back into this room, into this seated body, feeling the weight of the body on the chair, being present to your arms, your hands, the touch, perhaps you're touching your knees, or your hands are touching each other. And your legs, all the way down to your feet. Just being with this sitting body. Once again, just for a few minutes, Tuning in to the, to the breath, the in-breath and the out-breath.
We're going to end with two bells. After the first bell, I'm going to read a very short dedication of the merit of all that we've experienced here tonight in all our efforts. And then I'll ring the final bell. As we wish compassion for ourselves, may all beings in the universe be held in compassion. Thank you all for listening and participating. I think we're done. (laughs) And thank Kim. Thank you for reading. Thanks. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.